Well, good morning, Chapel family. Happy New Year to you. Uh, interesting way to start out the new year with some wintry weather today. The original plan was to begin a brand new series today. Uh, and I'm so excited for the series. Uh, it's called Servant King. Uh, it's a walk through the entire Gospel of Mark leading all the way up through Easter, which falls on March 31st this year. So we're just gonna immerse ourselves in the life and teachings of Jesus. But because of the weather, we decided to start that series next week instead of today. And so today, um, what I decided to do is just kind of orient us to the, the teachings of Jesus by looking at his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll get us thinking about uh, what Jesus taught and that will prepare our hearts to begin studying the Gospel of Mark next week. So before we dive in, let me just pray for God's guidance on our time together. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for this new year that you have provided for us. We're thankful for your grace in bringing us to this point. We are hopeful, Lord, that this will be an awesome year of your blessing, of your goodness, of making an impact through us to our community. Lord, we ask for your goodness to us and through us this year. As we open up the word this morning, Lord, help uh, our thoughts to be shaped by the teaching and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, when Mary was told that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the angel said about this child, his kingdom will never end. When the Magi came looking for the baby Jesus, remember the question that they asked? They said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So from the very start, Jesus is presented as a king. And the most basic reality about kings is that they rule kingdoms. And then when Jesus officially begins his ministry, which we're going to read about it in Mark chapter one, um, the first thing he says is repent for the what? The kingdom of heaven is near. So what does that mean that the kingdom is near? Uh, older translations say the kingdom is at hand. What does that mean? Well, as I sit in this room right now, and probably in the room that you're sitting in right now, um, a Wi-Fi network is near. It's at hand. You don't see it. You can't smell it or, or taste it. But I promise you, the kingdom of the internet is at hand. And you have a choice. You can choose to live ignorant of and disconnected from that kingdom, or you can choose to connect to it. And when you connect to it, what happens? Well, you can watch cute cat videos all day long on your phone, right? Life-changing. But, but seriously, um, when you connect your life to this unseen reality, a whole new world really opens up to you. And look, I know it's an imperfect illustration, but, but you see the point. Jesus was announcing this whole new realm of life that was right there. It, it was at hand, available. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And the only way to be part of it is if you know the king. When we connect to this kingdom by putting our faith in King Jesus, this entirely new world opens up to us. The kingdom of Jesus is different from anything else out there. It's not just good basic morals. It's not, to steal the title of a book, everything I need to know in life I already learned in kindergarten. Um, it's not all religions basically teach the same thing. It's not the Democratic Party. It's not the Republican Party. It's distinctly different from any other kingdom because Jesus is distinctly different 
from any other king. So in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he paints this picture of what our life could look like when we are connected to his kingdom. Uh, and so today, we're going to just get a big picture look by, by looking at something uh, that Jesus said near the beginning of the sermon and something he said at the very end of the sermon. And so we're just going to talk about two things here, um, what God's kingdom does in us and what God's kingdom does through us. So when we connect with this kingdom, there's something that happens uh, internally and there's something that happens externally. Uh, it affects our private life and it affects our public life. So what God's kingdom does in us and through us. So first, what does God's kingdom do in us? For that, let's look at the very end of the sermon, Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus talks about two different men, and if you think about it, these two guys had several things in common. They both have the same desire, which is to build a house, which is, it's really true of all of us, right? And when we find ourselves in this world, and we may have differences in background or circumstances, but we're all trying to, to build something, right? We're all trying to make something of, of our lives. Secondly, both of these guys experience storms. For both of them, it says, the, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, which is also true of us. Physical storms, um, relational storms, uh, mental health storms, financial storms. Uh, Jesus, in fact, in another place promised, in this life, you will have trouble. So storms will come. Some of you, I'm quite certain, are in a nasty storm right now. So both guys are building a house. Both guys have storms. They, they really represent the human condition. But there's one big difference between them. Did you see what it was? It's the foundation that they build their house on. And Jesus uses this analogy that would have been familiar to anyone living around the Jordan River. Because during the summer, the sand all around the Jordan gets really hard, like packed, dry, hard surface. So if you didn't know any better, you could go ahead and build a house right on top of it because it felt secure, but then the rainy season would come and the river would overflow its banks and the sand would start to erode. And so any decent builder in that region would dig down through the sand until he came to rock. Sometimes uh, you would have to dig down eight or 10 feet before you hit rock and you would build the foundation of the house on that. Um, going back 12 years, there was an event that everyone in New Jersey, especially people who live near the shore, will remember. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hurricane Sandy, right? I think it was October of 2012. Um, thousands of people, especially near the shore, homes damaged or destroyed, tons of insurance claims filed by homeowners after the hurricane. And it was so interesting because when those insurance adjusters came in to inspect the damage, 
we started to hear some disturbing stories about the construction of some of those homes. Some of them had, had used really cheap materials. Uh, in other cases, it was obvious that the contractors had cut corners to save money and the construction was just, just sloppy. Um, but the amazing thing was those houses looked beautiful on the outside. I mean, nobody would have ever known that there was a problem and probably nobody ever would have known except for Sandy. Uh, and, and then they came crashing down. So let's just make sure we're hearing Jesus accurately here. What do these two kind of foundations represent? And, and here it is. They represent whether or not you choose to hear and live out the teachings of Jesus. That's what he says, right? Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a guy building on a rock. Whoever hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a guy building on the sand. So let's get specific. Here's one of the well-known teachings of Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 43. It's in the same context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus says, if we hear that and put it into practice, we'll be building a strong house. If, if we don't, we'll be building a weak house. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't have any enemies. Sure you do. Broaden your thinking a little bit. Um, sometimes it's just people who annoy us and get under our skin. Got any of those? Sometimes it's people who are really against us and trying to pull us down. Some of us have some of those. So really Jesus is speaking to, to all of us here. And I'm gonna be just really honest with you. There have been times in my life when I have hated my enemies. Um, there have been times when I have fixated on what people have done to me. And usually for some reason it takes place while I'm shaving. I just have time to think and I'm standing there. That's, that's why I'm growing a beard. I don't wanna to have to think about things like that. No, that's just when I have time on my hands and, and I start to, to go over in my mind what's been done to me. And, and I, I sometimes wallow in self-pity. And I sometimes fantasize about how I could put that person in their place, um, show them how wrong they were. Uh, sometimes I've gone out and gossiped about that person to other people. Anybody else relating to this or is this just me? See, we'll talk about this uh, you know, more when we talk about uh, the other teachings of Jesus, but, but hating your enemy doesn't mean necessarily you go out and you set their house on fire. Uh, it just means that in your attitude toward that person, you're returning evil for evil. And that comes out in all kinds of ways. And so here's the point. Jesus says, when I do that, it's like building my house on the sand because I'm ignoring what Jesus taught. And as I direct my thoughts and my energy against this person, as I hate my enemy, there is a rot and a decay taking place in the foundation of my soul. I'm actually weakening myself as a person. And you might not see any signs of that on the surface. Just like in you know summer of 2012, you went down to Lavalette or Manasquan or Long Beach Island. Those houses would have looked great. You could look at me and you could say, well, there's Pastor Dave. He looks fine to me. But man, the storms are coming. And when they come, when life gets hard for me, when I've been living like that, my life will start to crumble. On the other hand, let's stay with the same example. If I hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice, 
that means I take a different approach to my enemies. So I'm shaving and I remember something that person has done to me and I feel this pang of anger and injustice. And, and by the way, if you're married and you find yourself arguing with your spouse, not that I know anything about this, I've just heard other people talk about it, but in case that's true of you, um, this applies. And I'm not saying your spouse is your, is your enemy, of course not, but sometimes we can kind of live as enemies, right? So this could very much be a, a marriage thing. So you, you feel that, that pang of self-pity, the person's been wrong to me, they've mistreated me, uh, but I take Jesus so seriously and he's my king and I'm walking in his kingdom and in the power that he gives me through his Holy Spirit because I'm connected to his kingdom, I intentionally think of his words, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and I choose to do that right there with the towel wrapped around me and shaving cream on my face. I pray, Lord, would you bless this person? Give, give him a great day. Would you make him successful in business? Would you bring peace and joy to his family? Would you bless her marriage? In other words, you just take Jesus at his word and you do what he says. And Jesus says that when I do that, when I choose the way of Christ's kingdom over my kingdom or over the world's kingdom, there's something good happening deep within my soul. That it's like I'm building my house on granite. And then when the storms come, when those hard things happen, there is this stability and this supernatural strength and this ruggedness to my life. Um, you know, when life gets tough, I've seen some people just crumble, just fall apart and get, get bitter and angry and start to drink too much and, and, and really fall apart. I've seen other people, and I can think of some of their faces right now, uh, some mentors of mine, that when life has gotten tough, um, they stay hopeful, they stay steady, they stay engaged in life because they've built their life on Christ. So over these next three months, we have this tremendous opportunity really because we're gonna be hearing the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus as we walk through the series. And every time we hear those things, each of us will make a decision whether to hear those words and put them into practice or just to turn away from them. And that decision has everything to do with the life that we're building. So that's what God's kingdom does in us. It creates that firm foundation that we build our house on. But it doesn't stop there. Let's talk about, secondly, what God's kingdom does through us. And for that, I'm going to read a section toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus uses these two analogies to describe his followers, right? He says, you are the salt of the earth, and he says, you are the light of the world. Think about the last word in both of those phrases. The earth that we live in and the world that's around us needs something because the world is filled with people that God loves, but who are not connected with God's kingdom. The, the Wi-Fi signal 
of God's kingdom is all around them, but they are totally disconnected from it because they don't know the king. And so hear what Jesus is saying. You need to view your role as my followers in terms of how you affect all those kingdom disconnected people who are around you. Uh, the author N.T. Wright said it like this, again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls and challenges us to a life of radical discipleship. Note, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers and so on, he doesn't just mean they themselves are blessed. He means that the blessing of God's kingdom works precisely through those people into the wider world. This is how God's kingdom comes. And so the question is, what does it mean for us to be the salt of the earth? Well, have you ever tried eating tortilla chips with no salt? How'd they taste? Have you ever tried having corn on the cob with just butter, but you can't find the salt? Have you ever had, tried having fries with no salt? How do they taste? Bland, dull, boring, uninteresting. Have you ever met Christians who are bland and dull and uninteresting and boring? Because they just speak in cliches all the time. Oh, God is good. And, you know, they don't seem to ever really want to engage any hard topics. It's just all kind of up here, truisms and, and cliches. Or have you ever met Christians who never challenge anything? They always play it safe. They're always just nice to everyone. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's bland. It's boring. Um, blah. So what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? It means we're not afraid to be different. We're not afraid to bring some flavor to things, to say things that are challenging and thought-provoking. Like we're told elsewhere in the New Testament, let your conversation always be full of grace, but seasoned with salt. And so it means we talk about things that are interesting. We tell stories. We use humor. You know who was like that? Jesus. Jesus was always telling stories, always get, getting people to think. Jesus was fascinating and kind of spicy and salty to be around. Jesus showed us what it means to be the salt of the earth. Okay, so what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? Well, it's actually very similar. It means we're not afraid to be who we are as followers of Christ. We don't hide ourselves under, under a bowl. Uh, we have this humble boldness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor martyr, said this, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. <laughs> and so as a church family, we're a community of Jesus, right? And if we're following him, we won't try to hide who we are. We will be visible noticeable in the community where God has placed us. I, my mind went back a couple of years ago when there was a fire, a, a pizza place in Pequannock burned to the ground, which is tragic in itself. We can't lose pizza places. But much more tragically, there was a family of five that lived in an apartment over the pizza place, and they were all of a sudden homeless. And I remember being so proud of the chapel because the next day when this news broke, emails started going back and forth. How can we help this family? How can we help them to get housing? How can we find out what their needs are? Our, our people contacted them. Our benevolence committee helped them financially to get through the crisis. And I have seen that response play out in times of floods, in times of people's personal disasters, time and time again. So in the midst of darkness, Jesus calls his church to be a light. But it's also true of us as individual followers of Christ. Um, 
I remember a guy that I met through my doctoral studies uh, talked about, told me about how he came to faith in Christ. And, and it was this, he was in college, somebody invited him to a, uh, a conference put on by a campus ministry um, right after Christmas. And the way he described it was, I walked into this room with hundreds of people who had a light on and I wanted what they had. And he gave his life to Christ that week. Their light was so obvious. And I guess that resonated with me so much because I mean, I've, I've shared my story many times. When I was spiritually wandering, when I was searching and I was in college and I decided to pledge a fraternity, there were a couple of guys in the fraternity that were following Christ and, and they were engaged in the fraternity. They loved the guys. They were, they were serving. They, you know, I saw the way they treated their girlfriends and did life. And uh, I realized that they were Christians and I ended up pledging that fraternity and I chose one of those guys as my big brother. And it took me about a year, but I gave my life to Christ. And the reason was because those guys had decided to leave their light on. Um, you never know who you're going to affect. There, there are people out there whose spiritual future depends on you leaving your light on. Don't turn it off. Don't be afraid to be the salt of the earth, to be a little different, to not fit in, to be the light of the world. Um, so when we walk in God's kingdom by trusting and following the king, two things happen. Something happens in us. We become stable, durable people who are building our house on the rock. And something happens through us. The people around us will be blessed. So at the very end of the sermon, Sermon on the Mount, in the last two verses, uh, listen to what it says, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. See, these were people who were accustomed to hearing rabbis who quoted other teachers, who expounded different philosophies and theories, but Jesus was different. You know, uh, other teachers and even good prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus said, I say to you, I tell you. Jesus spoke with the authority of God himself, and it was an authority and a power unlike anything people had ever heard. And 2,000 years later, <laughs> this is more true than ever. He says his kingdom is near. It's all around us, but the only way we connect to it is by trusting and following the king. So here we are at the beginning of a brand new year. I know not all of you are resolution people, but you've probably taken some time to think, and maybe you've got some plans, some resolutions for your, your physical health, Maybe you've got some resolutions about your, you know, your financial life or your, your career, and those are great. But here's what I want to invite you to. Whatever else happens in any of those other resolutions, and maybe, they'll, maybe you've already failed in them, let's all resolve together to trust and follow King Jesus, to walk in his kingdom. Because when we do that, I'm telling you, everything else in life falls into place. He does things in us. He does things through us, and God is glorified. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we listen to your words, as we walk through the gospel of Mark this winter, Lord. May we have ears to hear, and may we have the faith to put into practice what you've said. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, 
that we would, our, our, the, the houses of our lives would be built on a strong foundation, there would be a stability to us, and that we would be a blessing to the people around us. Father, would you do great things through your church and through every person in this church this year. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.